the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now please join our host, Dan Rebman. Thanks for joining us today on Philanthropy SA. I'm your host, Dan Rebman, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Carl Miller Lugo. He is the Senior Vice President of Alumni Engagement and Advancement uh, for the University of Texas at San Antonio. And that'll probably be the only time on this podcast I say the whole thing. The rest of the time is going to be UTSA. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks for joining me today, Carl. Uh, listen, it's a, it's a thrill. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so we're going to be looking at several things, and we're going to get into all the UTSA stuff, of course. And then I, I want to, you know, talk about, you know, advancement development efforts and, and what that looks like for you and, you know, tips that you have for folks. Um, but first and foremost, tell me what brought you to San Antonio? I was fortunate enough uh, when I was consulting to uh, be invited to do the uh, campaign planning study for UTSA. Um, I had known my predecessor for many years, so she uh, sought me out. Uh, she knew I was doing some consulting work. So that initially brought me here. I spent you know, a few months doing that, uh, presented the study to UTSA. And then, lo and behold, as things work out, uh, my predecessor called me, said, hey, I'm taking another job, and um, President Amy will probably be calling you to see if you can help during the interim, which about five minutes later he called. And uh, so I did that. I was coming here probably three times a week for about nine months. Um, and because of that, just fell in love with the place, the people, the vision, and so when the job was officially posted, I put my name in the hat, and thankfully it all worked out. That's awesome. Um, now, that's a warning to all of you consultants out there. You may actually have to execute the plan you've put together. So, you know, that's a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> that's a great point. Yes, I have no excuses, right? I, I knew what I was getting myself into. The consultant said this would work. Uh -huh. um, okay. So, um, and then what kind of got you into development and that type of thing to begin with? I mean, you know, as opposed to being in the for-profit sector or that type of thing. Yeah. I, uh, you know, out of college, I didn't have a job lined up and I did a couple of odds and end kinds of things. And then I saw an ad for an admissions counselor position at a small college in, in Kentucky, Lindsey Wilson College. And I had been really active in college, and I thought, that'll be kind of neat maybe to work on a college campus. So I uh, I got that job, and I did admissions work actually for about a decade, for about nine or ten years, and really enjoyed it. And toward the end of that time at Lindsey Wilson, the president asked me if I would go on some fundraising calls with him. And I didn't know what actually that was, but I said, of course. And he wanted me to come along and kind of speak to the student experience and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. 
What I didn't know is he was kind of uh, in, uh, interviewing me to see if I'd like to come over to development work. And on one of the trips back, he said, hey, by the way, I'd love for you to consider coming over to the development office. And I remember immediately saying, I don't think I can ask people for money. Like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, you know, uh, he, he showed me that it's all relationship building, which is what I was doing in, in uh, admissions work. And so I accepted the job, and then I've just never looked back. Uh, Very good. That's awesome. And, and I find that a lot of people kind of some, – some do it intentionally, and some people kind of like find their way into this – you know, right, unintentionally right. Or, or via conduit like that. So that's that's funny. Um, and so you're doing this work. You're here in San Antonio. You know, you've got all the, you know, relationships that you had built prior and that kind of thing. And you're kind of starting over, not necessarily from scratch, but what is, what is that like? Yeah, no, no doubt. I, you know, um, so – I when I finished Lindsay Wilson, I had a chance to go work at my alma mater, and while that was you know switching schools, to your point, I knew the place. I still had actually a lot of relationships there, um, so it really wasn't until I left Kentucky altogether for the job at UT Austin um, that you know I had that that switch of not only going to a brand new state that I did that I had to learn. Uh, but a new university and, you know, a pretty complex place uh, to learn. So at least I'd had that experience, uh, and I spent 10 years at UT Austin, had a good career there. But so coming here, you know, I had gone through some of that. Um, the other thing that was really helpful, though, was the fact that I had done that campaign planning study. So I had already met a lot of donors. I had gone and done interviews with a lot of these folks um, uh, so I, I at least had a base, you know, as I was coming in of some folks that I could go to and say, hey, you know, I'm new. What do I need to know um, mm-hmm. about the place, about the university, but about the city, you know, the culture, what what kinds of things? And so I've just I was fortunate to have a lot of folks that took that time, you know, to help me get my my feet on the ground and get a good start. And then our team, um, you know, I've got to give them tons of credit. They you know, accepted me in. They're outstanding. You know, our success is a credit to all of them. And um, and they did the same. You know, they, they, they saw the value, at least I'll say modestly, that I was bringing. But at the same time, they uh, helped me figure out what I, what I didn't know and, sure. uh, and helped me walk those traps. No, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, any of it, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I get to be kind of the face of the organization, but, you know, Without my team, I'm not. That's you know, right. There's not a lot happening. So, <laughs> um, so as you're looking at all the things that are going on, one of the things that that you know, you're you're sitting here because a mutual friend of ours, Harvey Nagem, said, "Hey, you need to have Carl on." And the thing that he said to me that got my attention was he said that Carl is the smartest guy I've ever met. And I'm thinking, Harvey's met a person or two. I mean, you know, I'm not saying Harvey's old. I'm just saying he's not a spring chicken, right? So he's not been cloistered. He wasn't homeschooled and just met people, okay? So he's met a lot of people. Yes, he has. So that is high praise of you. Um, And he's very pleased with, you know, everything that's going on with the big campaign that you have going on right now at UTSA. So why don't you tell us – well, let's take a step back from that. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Yeah. Um, So when I moved to San Antonio in 1992 – 
um, UTSA, at least the perception of UTSA, was more of a commuter campus, mm-hmm. that type of thing. I mean, certainly a good school. It had been around for a while. People had gone there. You know, the campus was getting built out and that type of thing. Sure. But it's certainly not the reputation that it enjoys today. Um, and so kind of walk me through a little bit of that if you want to. And then, you know, what we really want to hear about is the current campaign that's going on and, and sort of the vision for the projects that are that are happening. Yeah. You know, I think that is one of the things that um, uh, we have to work through sometimes is the fact that so many of those first couple of decade, you know, graduates, they really saw it as a place that they drove to, took some classes, and then they, you know, went back and went to work, went home, went, you know, went on with their life. And there wasn't that much of the student experience as, as, as we think about it, you know, at a, at a college. Obviously, um, you know, that continues – that continued to change over time. But I think, um, you know, in, in talking to our folks – and actually our data kind of also shows it. When football came to campus, it it just really started to um, ignite a, a campus feeling that wasn't there before. And so you can really see the difference in – uh, like when we look at our statistics in giving for um, those folks that kind of either were here or or even just before that time, but then everything through that time, how they engage, um, and uh, and that's made a that's made a huge difference. Obviously, now you know we're thirty five thousand plus students. We just, as a matter of fact, we had a brand new dorm just uh, being built now. Uh, we've got plans for more coming down the pike. So you'll continue to see that, you know, grow. And uh, and then, so that's exciting for our future. We, um, you know, 90% of our alumni are under the age of 65. And Dan, you and I both know that 65 is kind of still, even today, that that, that um, age at which most people start to do their major giving. So We've got a great upside, you know. We're not ex- we're not going to experience some of that now, and it's why we're so grateful for folks like a Harvey Najum that aren't alumni of the institution, but see the importance of UTSA to this community and are willing to invest um, in that. But we've got this tsunami wave. If you actually look at it on our stats, it's really cool to see because you can see them coming. You know, yeah. another ten, twenty years. Uh, we'll have a lot of alumni actually in that uh, in that kind of prime giving area, and so the work that my predecessor did with the first ever campaign, the work we're doing now with only the second uh, ever campaign in the UTSA's history, is laying the groundwork, you know, for that future. And so it's really exciting to think about. Yeah, no, that is exciting. Um, so you know the the stuff that's going on out there is incredible, and you know the the. Uh, the various programs and that type of thing, is there anything you particularly want to highlight that maybe you think people don't know about UTSA? Uh, you know, I think there's obviously there are the things that do make the news. There's the uh, the new building downtown, School of Data Science, and of course we just announced that we're uh, going through a process over this next year to create a college of uh, data science and AI and, and, and cyber and other things. Um, our cybersecurity program is considered one of the best in the country and has been for many years. So there's there's obviously those, and we're going to continue working on those. But there's things around uh, brain health, which we're uh, well known for. Our work around AI is a big reason that now this college of AI has become a thing because we've actually been doing a lot of work in that space. And 
um, you know, for a decade plus, even before it was kind of, you know, the end thing now that everybody's hearing about. But I think the one of the things that we're most proud of is the work that we're doing around student success and career-engaged learning. And it's actually uh, a, a main thrust of our strategic plan. And uh, the work that's happening at UTSA has become a model for the country. The folks that in our student success and career-engaged learning area are being invited to conferences not only around the United States but around the world to talk about what it is we're doing here because they've seen the way that we, for example, have lowered our four-year graduation rate over the last uh, decade. is It's just off the charts. Uh, no other school is seeing numbers like that. Um, and then the career-engaged learning piece is the piece that actually uh, we have to thank uh, Mr. Najum for being a, a one of the early investors in. But the idea there is that um, at least 75% of our students will graduate with some kind of experiential op- opportunity, whether that's, uh, you know, an internship, a co-op, a study abroad program, something so that they have they have things that they can add to a resume even before they graduate, and they have experience in the working world, and it's something that um, you know Mr. Najum felt really strongly about, and actually brought the idea of the Najum Center to us, and obviously now it's taking off and, and doing great things. But it's it's become kind of now the hub of this entire career engaged learning um, ecosystem on on the campus. Gotcha. And so when you say career-engaged learning, is that – that's where people are getting on-the-job experience while they're simultaneously pursuing their degree? That's exactly right, yes. Okay. So whether it's, you know, concurrent to their to their classes or, uh, like I said, maybe they take a summer and they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, work experiences or uh, co-ops and things like that. And, you know, we think that's – that makes our graduates even that much more marketable, you know, in the in – sure. Sure. So I'm, I have a uh, person on my staff who we hired through that type of uh, means in terms of, you know, she had come on as an intern and then worked with us part-time as she finished up her degree program and then, you know, transitioned into full-time yeah. uh, work, you know, once she graduated. So I can, I can attest as an employer that that, you know, works very, very well That's in terms right. of the way that just, you know, I, I – really made me confident in the hiring decision um, and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, she she didn't decide she didn't want to – she wanted to be yeah. someplace else. So that was good. That's great. That was good for me. Um, you know what? We're going to take time now to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more from Carl. Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. And we understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today, 210-999-5511. In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor-advised funds, 
and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network. Member SIPC slash FINRA. Okay, welcome back. This is Dan Rebman. I'm the host of Philanthropy SA, and I'm joined today by Carl Miller Lugo, who's Senior Vice President for Advancement and Alumni Relations at the University of Texas at San Antonio. There, I did it twice. That's, yeah. yeah, you know, you know I didn't, just a little you know, reminder. Just, you know, get that San Antonio in get there. That That's exactly. Well, it is Philanthropy SA, so yes. this is, you know. I, I I haven't gone national yet, so <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, Dan. Well, I'm probably not, but that's okay. Um, so I do want to take a step back, um, even further from you know UTSA specific, mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. I mean other places that you've been and that type of thing, um, and and not to you know I. I can almost hear some of the other development and advancement people that I know screaming in my ear right now saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, he works at a university and they have all the money anyway and they don't mm-hmm. need any more money and they should, you know, and all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. They don't talk like that. They, they no, speak much nicer than that. I'm just, you know, <laughs> so that's um, – but, I mean, you know, all, all kidding aside, I mean, schools – you know, we know that schools and religion are two of the largest recipients of, mm-hmm. um, you know, donations. Um, and I was just curious, you know, as you look around, what are kind of either advantages or disadvantages that you see, you know, being in advancement within a school environment? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've uh, served on nonprofit boards throughout my career. And uh, like I said, I've worked now at private kind of uh, uh, mid-major and then, you know, research one institutions as well. And then obviously through my consulting, I worked with a lot of different kinds of uh, organizations. So I think I have a pretty good feel for some of the, you know, uh, cons and positives of all of them. Um, you know, I think for us, what I, what I enjoy is that um, by and large, the folks that decide to invest in us are either uh, community members, again, uh, using Mr. Najem as a wonderful example, that, that understand what the university brings and, and means to the city and its future. Uh, so there's that. Or they're alumni, you know, that had wonderful experiences on the campus or sometimes maybe didn't have uh, that great of an experience, so they want to make it better for the future, right? That it's it 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 can be a motivator on on both sides. Sure, um, but they're grateful for what the place you know enabled for them, you know, in their future and their families and that kind of thing. So that that's my favorite part is to sit down and just hear those stories and kind of learn what their inspiration is, and then hopefully from that, then we can get into a, a gift dis, gift discussion over time. But sure. um, but that's that's what I enjoy, and then it's fulfilling to you know to work in higher education because I just um, it, it just for me personally, kind of my philosophy on things, I believe that. It's really the change maker, you know, for uh, for people's lives and and uh, and for generations. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's something that uh, can change the trajectory of of a, of a family for you know for the future. And so, that's really fulfilling, you know, to be part of of that work. I don't. I'm not in the classroom. I'm not teaching classes. I'm not, you know, doing the research. 
But all of us on our team are a part of all of that, and we help make some of that possible that wouldn't otherwise, you know, be possible. To, to touch for just a moment, you know, on your um, comment about, you know, you all have, have all the money you need and that kind of thing. Hey, believe me, I working in the University of Texas system, both at Austin and now at San Antonio, we, we do hear that from time to time from people. Or, hey, you all are a state institution. Doesn't the state give you all the money you need? And the reality is, if you look at it, we get about 20 percent of our budget from, you know, from the state. So, the other has to come from other sources. Obviously, we don't want to put all of that on tuition. We don't want to put that on the backs of our students and their families. So philanthropy is really just one of the other buckets. There's other, obviously, revenue-generating kinds of activities on the campus uh, that are going on. But philanthropy, uh, to do the things, that, especially a place like UTSA that is on such a trajectory and has such bold plans you know, for the future – Philanthropy is that difference maker, and uh, we've been very fortunate in this campaign to have people that believe that and have have bought into that and are investing in that in a major way. and And you're seeing you're seeing some of the the uh, benefits or the fruits that come from that yeah. kind of investment. And so, just kind of to follow up on that or dovetail off of it, well, the one thing that I tell folks. Because working with the, you know, investors who are philanthropically minded and that type of thing, you know, I always find it funny how people feel that they get to decide how other people donate their money. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? This is somebody who's like already made the decision that, okay, I've, I'm going to make a difference with some of the money that I have. I'm going to make an impact. You know, impact's mm-hmm. the big word mm-hmm. in our space mm-hmm. right now, right? And so they want to make this impact and they've decided, okay, I'm going to give it to this school or this organization or whatever it is that they want to make the area an impact is. And then I'll read in Philanthropy Today or one of those kind of where they're like taking pot shots at people who are doing this and like, well, they should well, be doing this instead of that. And they should, And I'm like – no, you should pretty much get to make the impact in the area you want to make the impact in. And so that's right. That's, that's kind of my personal soapbox. The, the the opinions just expressed are exclusively those of the host <laughs> and do not necessarily reflect Carl's. So there, I gave you some cover. Thank so. you, thank you. No worries. Um, but what a but you know also in the development space. I mean, the reality is is that COVID changed the way the mm-hmm. development is handled and that type of thing, and even changed. Where people are, you know, going and doing and, and that kind of thing with it. And so in, you know, a now post-COVID world and we hope forever post-COVID that, um, you know, what what kind of changes did you see to development coming out of there? And what do you do differently today than maybe the way you handled things three years ago? Yeah. You know, uh, our entire team now is pretty much hybrid for one thing, which, you know, if you'd ask me Pre-COVID, I would have said, no, you know, we've got to be on campus. How do we, how are we going to get our work done? Uh, but that forced us. We learned, you know, how to do it and are now offering, uh, you know, a benefit to a lot of our staff that is, you know, they're very grateful for, actually. And, and I think there's even greater um, uh, happiness and fulfillment in their work being able to do it this way. You know, the reality, too, is, and you know this, but um, for fundraisers in particular, if we're sitting behind our desk all day, we're not doing our work because we ought to be out there, you know, building relationships. And so um, a lot of those folks, that's they were already out of the office most of the day. And uh, so so their lives didn't really change that much. Um, 
We do still, uh, you know, make sure that we're meeting, though, in person as a division several times throughout the year. Well, you know, even every month and that kind of thing. Our development team gets together for a a regular biweekly meeting, you know. So there's some of those things. Now we're being more intentional about when we bring people together uh, to make sure that we don't lose some of that about our culture. Um, and then we have a few positions that just have to be in the office still all the time. Um, and, and, you know, I'm one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm still there. But um, uh, so that that changed a little bit. And then, you know, the way that we're able to interact with uh, with our constituents, um, the Zoom world is not as foreign as it was right before COVID. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that we always would struggle with, well, how do we visit? You know, well, let me back up over Eighty percent of our alumni are in Texas, mm-hmm. number one, and and actually the biggest percentage of those are actually in this region still. They're in you know from Austin down to South Texas and and that kind of thing. So uh, in the valley, um, so we don't really have to go out of state that much. But hey, we do have road runners everywhere, mm-hmm. um, all you know, just about all fifty states and and even all over the world. And so we struggled with well, how do we go see those folks? You know, we don't have all the means in the world to go just traveling all over the place. Well, now people are more uh, – they're much more at ease with, you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever you pick your your medium. And so that's opened up that world for us, that we can still do regional and even national or international work, and we don't necessarily have to get on a plane to make that happen. And so our outreach, I think, has uh, benefited, you know, from that. And if you look again at our statistics over this campaign, um, you know, we're engaging our alumni at a much higher rate, um, even though if you look at the budget, we're not spending that much more on travel, for example. Mm-hmm. So so how are we doing it? It's through these, you know, virtual kinds of means. Sure. And I mean, I see that in my business as well. Um, the one thing that hasn't changed, though, is that development is still a contact sport. Absolutely. And so the one thing I always – I'll have people ask me, you know, hey, you know, we're having issues with this campaign or we're doing this or whatever. The first thing I always ask them is, okay, how many people have your people talked to today? Mm-hmm. How many visits have you made, whether they're real, you know, in person or virtual? Sure. But, you know, sitting down and talking to somebody – and engaging with them one-on-one. And, you know, sometimes the answer will be, well, we sent a mailer or we did this or we, you know, and it'll mm-hmm. be an electronic type thing. And I'm like, that's great. But that has a limited amount of effectiveness relative to sitting in front of somebody no doubt and saying, it. hey, we could use your help. Do you want to be part of that? And so that's that's the one thing when it comes to development that, that's, that remains constant. And we just have – Different ways of delivering that today through like Zoom mm-hmm. and those types of things. So anyway, uh, but, you know, the, that's just kind of, you know, development is a contact sport. So I, I love that you say that, actually. I, in almost all of my trainings, that's one of my first slides. Fundraising is a contact sport, and I have a picture of like a football, you know, you uh, tackling another person. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so my staff have heard me say that a lot. So well, I, lo- I love it that you're using it as well. And for the record, we had not talked about this no, ahead of time. So, no. um, although it may have come up when we had coffee the other day. Um, so, what is it? I mean, take a couple minutes and what's something that's just heavy on your heart that you want to talk about? It could be UTSA related, development related. It could be you know anything that you know just you want to kind of. You know, talk yeah. about. Well, well, thank you. No, uh, you know, again, I uh, what I haven't really honed in on is the fact that we are 
In campaign, uh, we are in the uh, sixth year of a 10-year, $500 million goal um, fundraising campaign for uh, the university. It's to support the all the pillars of the strategic plan. So it's uh, it's part of the fuel that's that's powering this rocket that is UTSA right now, and we're really proud of it. We're running about a year and a half to two years ahead of schedule, but you know we never take that for granted. Uh, so we continue to work hard, and uh, if we can. Uh, it, there's there's going to be no finishing early uh, for President Amy. We'll just keep fundraising and we'll just try to blow the goal out of the water. And uh, but we'll we'll go the full uh, you know ten year run. But uh, so I did want to you know mention that to folks and and thank those that have already supported in various ways to to get us to the success that we're experiencing. And and I hope that what they'll see is that we are going to be a better, stronger. Uh, more um, uh, impactful university at the end of this campaign than we were at the beginning, and I think from everything that we're seeing, you know, there's there's no doubt that that's that that's happening. So, um, really proud of that work. Really proud and really grateful for those that have supported it so far. And if there's some folks that are would be out there listening that uh, would like to continue or help in supporting it in, in the future, we would be open to a conversation. Very good. So, how should people reach out to you? So uh, they can reach out, you know, directly to me, Carl Miller Lugo. I'm easy to find on the UTSA website. Um, and then our team, we have gift officers in every college and every unit. So every academic unit, athletics, uh, most of our major centers. And so depending on what people's passion might be, we can connect them to, uh, you know, a subject expert in that area and they can start a conversation and you know, what I've always said to folks is, look, we're not going to come in to the very first visit and start asking, you know, for money. We just want to get to know folks, want to get to know what your interests and passions are. And at a place like UTSA, it's going to be hard for us not to find something that probably connects with something that's important to you and where you could make a difference. And um, and then you could explore it and then decide, you know, because sure. like you said earlier, it's, it's their money. They've earned it and they can decide how they'd like to use it. But hopefully they'll see something at UTSA that makes them proud and they can feel fulfilled in, in being a part of. Absolutely. Now, that's that's kind of the the joy is getting to link someone with something they didn't even know they could make an impact. In. Absolutely. You know, they were like they have this notion in their head of here. Here's what I here's the change I want to see in the world. Yes. And then it's like, well, guess what? We're doing this, and that should, you know, create that change. Yeah. So that's, that's been a great joy of mine is getting to help be that conduit to help people uh, identify that. So yeah. on behalf of uh, Carl, this is Dan Redman saying thank you for joining us today on Philanthropy SA and just reminding everybody to do well so you can do good. Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.